Just dying for it. Okay, uh, we'll get started. So today we're going to go through some more of the True and False, kind of wrap that up. Next week we'll actually do kind of a smattering of questions. Um, well, uh, we'll, we'll kind of keep things moving along today overall. We'll get into the recipe, which isn't necessarily something that's going to be on the tasting exam or the online exam, but components of the character of the, um, of basically the, the recipe question might pop into the exam, just general trends, I guess. So we'll cover it just for the people who may end up taking the, the written exam sometime later in life, um, and just kind of maybe approach the overall, like how do I put a beer together in terms of the recipe to, to meet the style guideline. Um, and then we got a couple off flavor. Are we just going to do two? Yep. Okay. And then so we've got. Play roulette and pick a random uh, third? Yeah. Um, well, no. Okay. <laughs> we'll let people give them something they can catch a little at the end of the game. Um, and then a bunch of Belgians. Okay? All right. So, questions. Um, starting with question 81. One oh one. That's why you're here, Peter. Yep. So, um, sir, you bet. One can obtain the BJCP national rank without acquiring non-judging experience points, and that is true. Yep. Um, the only the only requirement is that half of your points have to come from judging. Mm -hmm. You can have them all from judging. That's great. Um, so, yeah. Okay, uh, one of two, BJCP master judges must have a minimum score of 90% on the combined written and tasting exam and at least 40 judging points. Um, that's false because of what they need, technically 20 judging points, right? A total? Ah, uh, yes. Um, and, it, cause base, and once again, that boils down to must, okay? So um, without the must, that, that would have been true. All right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 102. Three. 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 Just kidding. BJCP master judges must score at least 90% on the combined written and tasting exam and earn at least 50 experience points with at least half of them from judging. And that's also false. That's false as well. Okay. That's not 50. The maximum score on the combined written and tasting exams for the BJCP national rank is 89. False. That's false because technically they can be higher, but you just didn't earn enough points. Or, okay. The JCP master churches must score at least 90% on the combined written and tasting exam and fulfill a grandmaster service requirements of the university. That's false. They don't. A grandmaster would have to, but a BJCP master does not. Okay. Cool. <coughs> Uh, BJC Grandmaster judges must score at least 95% of the combined written and tasting exams. It's false. Uh, it's false. It's just 90. Yep. Well, the next one, BJCP Grandmaster judges must score at least 90% of the combined written and tasting exams. It's true. Yep, that's true. I'll, we'll let you off on this one. <laughs> I can read it. Okay. Go ahead. Each additional BJCP Grandmaster level requires an additional 100 experience points. I don't know. It's true. Okay. Yeah, and it's experience points, not judging points. It's all overall experience points. Okay. BJCP honorary grand master judges do not have to take the BJCP exam. False. That's true. true. They. It's just something they can bestow on 
whatever they want, a chair, a someone who's done a good job. Um, but yeah. So honorary. Honorary. What follows doesn't honorary, matter. It's honorary. Yeah. yeah. BJCP honorary grandmaster rank is bestowed upon professional brewers when they judge at homebrew competitions. False <laughs> yeah, that's fun. There's literally, I think, like three or four honorary grandmasters that they've actually ever done. Um, but professional brewers actually have a little checkbox on most of the forms now. They can say, I'm a professional brewer. Not a BJCP rank, but that's it. Okay. Well, it's me. Uh, honorary master is a temporary rank bestowed upon operatives of the BJCP. True. That's news to me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. Yeah. Um, Apparently that is true. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, uh, the BJCP Grandmaster rank requires the same minimum score on the combined written and tasting exam as the Master rank, and that's true. They both need that 90. Okay. The BJC, BJCP Grandmaster rank requires the same minimum experience as the Master rank. Can we just read that? No. no. Are we, yeah. Try it again. Is this true? No, that's false because it's minimum experience. So they, they require. Oh, experience points. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Score versus points. The only difference in requirements between the BJCP master and grandmaster ranks is the grandmaster rank requires a GMSR. It's false. That's false. There's also you have to accumulate more uh, experience points. Each <coughs> uh, BJCP grandmaster level has additional requirements for. Exam grading is true. That's true. There's at least 50 points for each of the GSMR points have to come from. Uh, yeah, there's grading. a certain number of exams you've got to touch. Oh, is that, is yeah. it actually 50 I think it's straight exams. exams. Yeah. Okay. Okay. A BJCP Grandmaster service requirement can be fulfilled by grading exams. I'd say that's true. It's yeah. true. You can do all of your points technically through exams. It's just there. you definitely have to grade some exams. BJCP Grandmaster service requirement can be fulfilled by organizing competitions. It's false. That's false. There's competitions really don't have anything to do with the GMSR. GSMR requirements. A BJCP Grandmaster service requirement can be fulfilled just by serving on the BJCP board. That's Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, you, 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 there's a minimum number of exams that you have to grade uh, as part of your GMSR. So you can get, you know, it's 240 GMSR points. You know, you can earn 190 of them doing other things. 50 of them have to come from as like second grader. Okay. At least one half of the experience points required for any BJCP judge rank must be from judging. That's false. It's true. <laughs> These questions are the okay. So at least one half the experience points. Um, oh, so if the experience points are zero, then that's yeah, true. Yeah, well, but it's okay. yeah. So you know, like uh, master is forty, twenty have to come from judging. Uh, certified is five, two and a half have to come from judging. Um, you know, so each one is half. Judging at homebrew competitions is the only way to earn BJCP judging points. True. That's false. Um, you can do any any sanctioned competition. So when we run the Washington Beer Awards, it's not a homebrew competition, but we register as a BJCP competition. The BJCP's only requirements are that you do things blindly and that you, well, <laughs> uh, the 
the assessments are blind and that the um, you're using some sort of guideline. And so using Brewers Association guideline to do that. You can do a pro competition with homebrew as well. Or sorry, with the BJCP guidelines. It's all up in competition, but um, as long as the core requirement is as long as it's registered under the BJCP, that's the only way you can end up getting money. Uh, <coughs> BJCP judges can earn uh, non-judging experience points for participating in BJCP continuing education program activities. Is true. Yep. So, um, like Jerome will be since Jerome's already a judge, him taking this class again, he'll, he'll end up getting some points for that. We'll we'll actually get some points for teaching classes. There's all sorts of continuing education things that can be done, um, and people can get a few extra um, non-judging points out of that. Um, judging experience points can only be earned uh, by judging in a competition or proctoring a BJCP exam, um, and that proctoring a BJCP exam is kind of the key thing to this, and that's true. So those are the only sources of um, judging points. Stewards at homebrew competitions earn BJCP judging points if they taste the beers with the judges. False. That's false. They just earn BJCP judging or they, they don't get judging points at all, they get non-judging points. So stewards at homebrew competitions earn BJCP experience points. True. That's true. Okay. So <laughs> these true and false with the ranks are kind of a pain in the butt. I mean the thing is really pay attention to the detailed words of must. Um, keep in mind the judging versus experience versus non-judging points and all the kind of differentiators between that and then whatever the actual numbers are for each of the different ranks. Um, we really didn't cover any of the GSMR stuff, really, um, the Grandmaster Service Requirement stuff in the class. We probably should take a... Next year we should probably put a little discussion of that. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay. So today's uh, kind of big technical topic, if you want to take out the recipe formulation section of your handouts. Um, so on the, on the written exam, um, there's, there will always be a question um, about creating an all-grain recipe for a certain style of beer. There's a limited number of style of beers that they have to pick from on this. Um, they've got them all, well, the ones that are currently on the exam are all kind of right there. And I, I really doubt that they're going to change these. There's no reason to. Um, so you got Triple Doppelbach, Robust Porter, Dry Stout, Oktoberfest, American IPA, Bison, English uh, Special Bitter, um, or Special Bitter, um, Classic American Pilsner, Bohemian Pilsner, and German Pilsner. So they're going to say, hey, provide a all-grain recipe in particular. So... If you're an extract brew, there's a little extra stuff that you have to kind of learn for to really kind of master this kind of question. Um, and you're going to need list ingredients, um, how much of each you're going to have, um, what your procedure for creating the beer and basically getting into a package. I mean, so you're literally, hey, you have to describe the whole... Oh, no, to... Uh, <laughs> what? Is that... It's one of mine. Okay. It's one of my it's practice. It's basically. Yes. Um, but that's what you're expected to come up with. Yeah. Uh, provide the formulas or how you're calculating IBUs and alcohol. Yeah. Um, so you got give volume, original, final gravity, and then you have to go and explain how what you just created is going to create the style. So then you have to give it a, a decent understanding of the style as well and say, all right, a triple is supposed to have this alginine phenolic uh, character, supposed to have a very simple uh, grain bill, so I'm going to be using, that's why I ended up using Pilsner Malt. Um, and that's why I ended up using a Belgian yeast. 
Um, and I fermented it warm to elicit all of these kind of flavors. Um, and I added sugar to dry it dry out. Dry it out and all those kind of things. Um, so I, I think on the website we've actually um, got some example recipes. I'm not sure if I printed any of that stuff out. It's not too important for what you're doing with this. Um, but I guess, look, on this handout, look at the very beginning. These don't have to be the world's best recipes. They just need to fit the bill, okay? Because nobody's going to go out and brew these, um, but they want to make sure that you have the major concepts covered to end up with the, um, the end product. Um, so it's going to be the right colors. It's going to be the right bittering levels. It's going to be the right um, starting gravities. Um, and it's also the brewing process. And they understand that putting hops in earlier is more of a, a bittering contribution versus a later hop. Um, and how do you get the kind of hops that you want in the beer, mm-hmm. um, you know. So for the American IPA that I'm passing around, you know, it's a lot of, you know, mid flavor and uh, and uh, aroma hops at the end. Yeah. Um, then there's also kind of the the next thing, which is the understanding the source of the the beer in terms of all right, a triple is a Belgian product, um, so I'm going to want to source Belgian ingredients. Okay, they're going to be maybe looking for candy sugar, or I'm going to be using some sort of continental. Um, malt, I'm going to be using the, whatever hops are indigenous to that area. So they want to see you refer to the things that are really, really a part of the, the history, I guess, and uh, how that beer came to end up being. Um, so when you got the going, if you've got one of the three different Pilsners, you're going to want to talk about where you got your ingredients from. So American, you better be talking about, I'm going to use some sort of American kind of product. Um, American hops. Um, the, and then I guess kind of overall, you want to keep this, if you're going to answer this, keep it as simple as possible. There's a few kind of guiding rules to help you get through um, some of the calculations a little faster. I don't know, did you actually write out all your equations on there? Yeah. that's the, I, Some people don't do that or say it's not necessary, but it's, they, they want to sh- see that you understand some of the math behind this as well. Um, and that you just didn't say, <clears throat> I threw... 15 pounds of something in it, and I magically ended up with a OG of 1010 or 1050 or 1040. They want to see a. I know that a, a malt has something that's called a um, maximum extraction. I'm um, sorry. Yeah, no, it is. No. Maximum extraction. But basically, you know, the, the, the grain has a potential extraction of X amount. You're only going to extract 70% because I'm doing a home brew. So when I add a pound of grain, I'm getting 70% of the, uh, the, uh, value of uh, the value of the sugar content. Um, and they just want to see that that math carries through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you generally choose values that make the, addition, the, or the multiplication and division easy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you kind of need to pick a batch size and then work all these kind of scales from there. Um, you can do this on a commercial scale if you really wanted to. Um, you can do it on a homebrew scale. Most people tend up doing a 5-gallon or 10-gallon batch. Um, so they give points for making sure you got statistics that are within the range of, or your ending statistics are somewhere within the range of whatever the style was supposed to be. Um, so if you threw some sort of really dark malt into your classical record builder, stats are probably going to be off if your calculations are off. Um, so you have to memorize the stats for each one of those styles? Uh, generally, you'll sort of go in with an idea of, you know, all right, you know, Triple, it's going to be 14 pounds of grain, 2 pounds of sugar, 
you know, the calculations are going to get me to, you know, you sort of memorize sort of the bare facts of, of yeah. what it's going to be. The, so the facts themselves will get you generally within the range of them. But yeah. you do need to at least know a ballpark of, I'm aiming for this many IBUs, so I need to at least throw in a ballpark right. approximate amount of hops from there. So yeah, there, you don't need to cite the, this is the range that's necessary for uh, a Belgian fall within that range. So. And most of the ranges are wide enough that at least you as long as you have an idea of how much you're going to put in, it's going to work out. Um, so in general, people start with the, the grading bill. Um, or actually, if you look through the, how they break up the points, that's also a good idea of how to spend your time as well. Um, and you can kind of see that after going through the whole recipe, 3.5 or more than a third of the, the points are coming from just explaining how the recipe fits the, the style profile. And a lot of people kind of push that off and forget about it a bit. So very, very important. Um, let's see, so grain bill. So you basically, every malt has a certain amount, of, as Pete just said, of extract potential, okay, uh, maximum theoretical. It's usually 36 points per pound per gallon, okay. Um, or it ranges up, to, well that's about, it's maybe going to go up to 38, and for different malts it may drop down to into the 20s for some of the roasted malts. But as long as you stay, pick something like 36, they're probably going to be fine with it. You don't really need to justify saying, well, robust or dry stores are uh, roasted barley ends up only having a 30.4. Um, don't need to worry about that. Um, so basically, you're going to start building up your malt profile with that. So you're going to say, all right, I'm going to put 10 pounds of this in there, and it's going to have an extract of 36, and then they're going to have two pounds of this, which is also going to have 36. Multiply all those together, multiply by your efficiency. Easy one to assume is 70% or so. It's a realistic efficiency. Um, <laughs> if you're going up to 90, it's probably not going to be a realistic system. So they just pick something that's normal, around 70, 70 to 80. Um, but the 70 makes it really nice and easy because you end up with about 25 points per pound uh, per gravity gallon uh, for just about all your malt. That stacks up nice and easy. Um, Problem if you're next to sugar, you need to go with something like 44, and that's 100% because there's no efficiency uh, associated with the um, putting sugar in. Uh, you get all the sugar. You get all of it, unless you spill. Unless you're really shaky. Yeah. Um, so let's see, they got like, their grain bill example right there for, um, they've got some really, real simple calculations. So I got eight pounds of Munich, seven pounds of Vienna, one pound of Cara Munich. Multiply all those by 36, multiply those by 0.7, add them all up together, um, and then divide it by whatever the size of your batches and gallons, um, and that gives you um, basically, uh, then you add basically 1.0 to that, and that gives you whatever your overall starting gravity is going to be. Um, so the, the nice kind of easy way to look through it, though, is basically for every pound that you're at, you're going to add 0.05 for a five-gallon uh -huh. batch. So that's an easy way to get you within a ballpark of whatever your um, uh, uh, recipe is going to be. So nothing too complicated. Um, after that, well, well, we'll get into color, I guess, in a, in a, in a bit. So now you've got your malt kind of built up, um, and hopefully you're, you've Pick some ingredients that are appropriate in terms of getting the color into the ballpark area. Um, and I'll say one more time, there's a few very, very simple recipes that we've got posted out there that you can go look at and it'll get you pretty much a decent recipe. <laughs> Steve, Steve and Josh put, put a whole bunch of, basically he simplified so you can use, you know, 
like a lot of the styles fit 1060 so if you use that as your base for seven out of the 12 styles mm-hmm. you know it's consistent you know i need to get 1060 so i need 12 pounds of yeah. of malt um and he's you know he's gone through and, and made it as easy as possible mm-hmm. um okay so then we had hops and as i remember before we've Basically, hops have alpha acid as well as all their flavors. The earlier we put them in the boil, the more alpha acid or, or uh, bitterness we're going to get out of them. The later in the boil is going to be more for flavor and aroma. Um, we have something called extract efficiency, which is going to be a function of all your boil and everything like that. And we kind of peak out close to 30. Um, so there's a very relatively simple detailed IBU <laughs> Calculation, which is basically going to be your weight times your alpha acid times your utilization times the conversion factor, which is that 7,000-ish number, divided by your volume and then a correction for gravity adjustment. Um, so basically, as we start to get into the stronger warts, we're going to end up having a little harder time um, pulling out some of the efficiency. They want to see that you understand that concept if for any beers that are going to be very, very strong. So if you're going to do the Doppelbach, if you get stuck with the Doppelbach or the Triple or the IPA, um, they're going to want to see you do some sort of uh, adjustment. Like a adjustment. Eh, 1065. They want you to do it for anything over 1050. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you throw in that little gravity adjustment, which is you degrade it by 0.2 um, or add up 1.2 basically total. Um, use that equation, multiply it by um, what you or use whatever your utilization is for whatever you're going to put in your hops. Um, and the easiest things to do is do hops at 60, 15, and 0, um, depending on what kind of style you're doing. And there's three very, very basic utilizations. So 60, use something like 28, 15, use 8%, and 0, you're technically not going to extract, um, or from a calculation perspective, you're not going to extract any alpha acids. So memorize those, um, but I mean that way you can cover. You got your bittering, you got your flavor, you got your aroma. Okay, and and only three. You don't need to have like I'm going to go with a continuous dry hop or hopping every one minute. It, it's a complete stupid thing to do in a kind of a way. So once again, you go through you for each of the hops that you add in. You run the number in terms of IBUs and then add everything up in the end. So they've got like the the example for the Weizen, which is just going to be um, just going to do bittering. So one ounce. Um, 4% alpha acid, 60 minutes, no um, gravity, or I guess uh, it's 10.50, so they don't do any gravity adjustment on that. Um, and they end up with 16.7 IPUs, whereas for that American IPA, they've got a hop up front, they've got a hop in the, for flavor, then they got their flame on hop. So they do the calculation for the, the initial bittering hop, and then they do uh, the calculation for the flavor hops with a different um, extraction efficient or utilization, and then they add everything all together divided by the um, volume of wort as well. So end up with a 48.85, which could be at least more more bitter, closer to the IPA range. Um, so they got some simplified kind of calculations, um, and they recommend using that four um, 4% increment for alpha acid because it kind of hits. Um, uh, a, a standard um, IBU for your edition, I guess. Um, and once again, keep it simple, work in ounce increments. Um, in terms of other calculations, you're going to want to make sure that you're within the right color range. Okay, what are your other critical statistics? 
So they've got some um, different calculations for determining, all right, so you take your level bond, degrees level bond basically, multiply it by the quantity of the malt that you're adding and then dividing that out by the volume um, to get the SRM. The catch with this is that for really, really dark beers, that whole scale kind of falls apart. So they've got some adjusted calculations in there. So once again, for when you actually go through and take take that that exam, you can go through and look through these. This is not going to be very, very important for what we're doing with the online exam. Um, but uh, and yeah, once again, he's got some very, very basic kind of malt bills in there to to work from. Um, then I guess. So those are the major calculations you need to end up doing. Um, then you're going to get into what you're going to do for your overall process. So you're going to start with technically grinding, mashing in. So you're going to want to say, I'm going to pick a 1.25 um, kind of quarts per pound to, to mash in. I'm going to mash in at certain temperatures. Um, and this is where we're going to, you're going to want to talk a little bit about your mashing regime and make sure it lines up for the style. So... For your American beers, single infusion. Nice, easy, nothing complicated. Um, if you're going to do something like an Oktoberfest or the Doppelbach, they're going to want to maybe hear you talk about uh, the concept of doing a decoction mash because it's kind of traditional. Same thing for the uh, Weizen even, uh, to do a decoction mash. Um, for the classic American Pilsner, they're going to want to hear you address the concept of a, a cereal mash, where you're going to have some of it done off on the side and mix it all together. Um, I mean, you, you can walk through the detailed kind of like, all right, I'm going to pull off one third of this for the traction, go at it, get it up to this temperature next. As long as you're at least demonstrating the understanding, you don't necessarily need to walk through a triple decoction, but just trying to prove that you're going to get to a beer that's stylistically accurate. Talk about how you're going to uh, mash out, lauder, rinse everything, get everything into the kettle, um, boil for a certain amount of time. Maybe for one of your pilsners, or your pilsners, you might boil for a little longer because you want to drive off DMS precursors and make sure that you don't have, end up with that in there. Talk about when you're going to add in your hops. Okay, I'm 60 minutes, I'm going to add this. 15 minutes, I'm going to add the, those hops. And then zero minutes, I'm going to add the aroma ones to get the, that kind of character. Um, talk about doing a fast chill so I get a good cold break. Um, talk, during the boil, talk about having a vigorous boil so that I concentrate my wart and also drive off, or sorry, get a nice hot break in there. Just once again, pay kind of a little lip service for all the major things that have been going on that we've been learning about in this class. Talk about getting it down to fermentation. Talk about the yeast that you're going to put into it. And there's, you don't need to have like the world's best strain picked as long as I, I'm going to use a um, an American yeast, an appropriate, um, we're going to use a British ale yeast for this, we're going to use a Belgian kind of um, Ardennes yeast. Talk a little bit about the fermentation temperature for the lagers you're going to want to talk about, I'm going to ferment cold, um, maybe after it's done with fermentation I'm going to do my diacetyl rest to help it reabsorb that, raise the temperature, drop it down to help everything um, settle out, talk about packaging it. Um, siphoning it over into uh, some sort of a finishing vessel and either in some sort of carbonation technique. Say I'm going to add some priming sugar, about this much maybe, to add uh, two atmospheres of um, uh, carbon or carbon dioxide or for the Weizen, say maybe I'm going to go for three so because it has that um, spritzy kind of character. And then 
don't forget to wrap up with the... Um, all right, so what I just did gave me this kind of a multi-profile. It gave me uh, restrained bittering, a very, very high bittering. It has a lot of floral hops in it to help recreate what's important for that style. Um, the fermentation character, talk, talk about all of those different aspects of the balance, um, and then hopefully get off. This question alone can take you like a half an hour if you put your time into it, and um, it's only 20, 25 or 20% of your score on the exam now. Um, so it's a very, very difficult act of trying to balance time and getting a, still getting a good answer through uh, when you do take the written one. Uh, but what do you what do you see on the online exam that really talks or addresses the recipe? Yeah, I mean, so I, the, the, for those of you who wandered over and, or maybe you have taken it on your own, the the online has a lot of questions that are about uh, you know compare and contrast styles, but it's not as difficult as boy, I really need to know the difference between an American pale ale and a German Helles. You know, they're going to throw some keywords in, you know, like a continental Pilsner malt, um, you know, American style hops. And you know that if it's a Helles it, or any German style, you know it's going to take, you know, it's going to be German malts, Pilsner, Munich, Vienna, um, depending on the style. It's going to be German hops. And so if you can just sort of nail the, the style categories, you know, the, the German, the British, the U.S., um, and the Belgian characteristics of, you know, uh, British beers typically can have some diastole because they use yeast that flocculate uh, more readily than, than other things. So if there's a question that's got diacetyl in it, and you're like, well, can the, can the Hellas have diacetyl? You know, it's, it's not, just move quickly, be familiar with sort of the major families of, of beers and ingredients, um, and that's gonna get you through an awful lot of those. Uh, and if you don't know it, you know, move on. Um, yeah. You know, because some of the compare and contrasts are, you know, can it, can it, you know, British North or British uh, brown ale have a toasty? You know, you're like, I don't know. Six and one half does the other. I don't care. Move on. Um, get through it. Um, don't waste a lot of time on the the multiple choice mm-hmm. uh, or the multiple selections. You know, click all that apply. Uh, you know, click the ones you know and move on. Don't sort of hinge back and forth. Oh, I guess could technically on this one. You know, just move, move, move. Go through. Um, uh, I mean, basically, the acetaldehyde and diacetyl, knowing that they're yeast products um, and knowing that uh, they're produced during normal fermentation and then not cleaned up, um, you know, will get you through a lot of those questions. There are a lot of those are basically it's you know how do I fix diacetyl? Uh, you know, we uh, move it, rack it quickly. We you know. All these things, and as long as you know that you know it needs to, the yeast needs more contact, needs to be roused, or you know it's going to be easy to, to nail that answer and, and move through it. Um, you don't necessarily need a lot of the other things. The dastel and acetaldehyde are the ones that keep coming up repeatedly. Um, anybody else thoughts on the uh, the online exam? Where did you saw last week? It asked you for style ranges too. But uh, there's a quick. I mean, there's the stat section. There's a thing. quick stat section yeah. in the BJCP style guide, so yeah. that wouldn't take you too long to just find it. Yeah, and, it, and a lot of those. I mean, it goes back to trying to have to memorize as long as you're understanding a bit of just the character of the family and just where it's going to fall out. And going back to what B was saying, the family itself 
um, of the style. Um, that that really is the, the the critical aspect for for being able to get through those areas quickly and kind yeah. Of, yeah. Otherwise, it can be kind of overwhelming. But you know, look for the the, the key. You know, is it American, British, Irish, German, and and have that that sort of instantaneous. I know most German beers, lagers, clean, mm-hmm. noble hops, noble hops, lager fermentation. Continental malts, all right. American, two rowish, and a little more specialty malts working through there. Um, and yet, there, I think on, on Steve's little overall kind of recipe formula, he picks like five or six malts that you can pretty much define almost every beer with to some extent, um, and just kind of memorizing the general range for the how much uh, what kind of color it's going to end up being. I mean, so you can pretty much get by for all these questions with. Munich Pale, um, Pilsner, and maybe Vienna, and Crystals, and uh, Chocolate. And you're almost good to go. And then Roasted for the Stout. Um, and then there's like, you can probably pick three or four hops. I need to pick one that's noble, I need to pick one that's American, I need to pick probably the, the, the Czech or the Stouts. And that's really all you kind of need to know for, for in terms of memorizing for if you do have to tackle this at some point. Yeah, keep it simple. Don't it's over. It can be overwhelming if you're trying to include the whole family of ingredients mm-hmm. or styles. Focus on the ones that are you know have that clear definition and okay. Jeez. Any any other recipe formulations or questions? Okay. Um, well, Pete's getting the the test beer or the sorry the tainted beers ready. I'll talk, go a little over some final kind of, as we're getting, for the people who are going to take the test, um, as we're getting closer, kind of some of the, the final studying kind of approaches that I really recommend taking. Um, so I guess first with regret, just take the exam study guide and literally every few week or every week or so, every few days even, take the time to go through the whole thing just start to finish. I mean, just, just really, really kind of get that study guide embedded. It'll, it'll keep walking you through the overall process of making a beer um, and then wrapping up with uh, the um, defaults uh, at the end. I kind of recommend uh, taking that faults page and looking over that every other day. It's one of those just go through, remember all the different major faults in there and read through what the different diagnosis in terms of how to fix um, those areas. Um, and then just keep uh, working your way through the guidelines again. And since it's really, really hard to read through whole style, whole style, whole style, um, work on the overall impressions, okay? Because we, you're, you've covered most of these already. Walk, really, really work on the overall impressions because that's what's going to be important for getting through the, the questions on the online exam quickly. Um, and then work on the style comparisons for each of those, okay? So... British Golden Ale, okay, it's a hot forward, average strength, moderately strong, pale, um, pale bitter, drinkability, refreshing. Okay, so I think a nice, sessionable British uh, beer. And let's see, for a style, it's kind of like an American Pale Ale, but then it's lighter, it's more sessionable, and it obviously features British ingredients. Okay, got to remember that, got to remember that. No caramel, uh, few restaurants and some of the other beers out there uh, from Britain, but just something sessionable. Okay, 
next beer. So th that's the best way to move through the overall um, styles yeah, in a kind of a, a fast manner, I guess, um, without completely bogging yourself down. Um, because, I mean, you can get through like two of these before you fall asleep um, when they're just going through all the, uh, the appearance and that. And then the final thing for your wheel, and just read, just read some of the words on there. Um, just to help get those other, those finer level descriptors in your, in your, um, in your mental bank so that you can pull those out when you need it um, uh, and just keep kind of going through those. And then basically it just kind of cycle through the, um, the guidelines, cycle through the uh, study guide and just kind of get those things in place. And then for those taking the tasting, remember that I don't do or that they don't want us doing weird, weird beers in there. So if you're gonna focus, Focus on more of the mainstream beers. So focus on your IPAs. Focus on your lagers. Focus on um, your, your your typical Belgian styles that we're going to hit. Um, if it basically if it's something that we haven't um, had in this class because it was really difficult to find, it's definitely not going to be on the exam. Um, so um, work through those. Um, and, and focus on the big ones. I, I previously had a study guide that was that would recommend, based off of the frequency of questions that would pop up on the exam, which styles you wanted to study for that, because you could use them for multiple ones. It actually turns out a lot of the ones that they bring up a bunch of times are the ones that tend to be good um, on the exam. So robust porters, stouts, uh, kind of your kind of your mainstream stouts. Um, uh, but just focus on those. Practice. And if you're going to practice on, on your own, go buy yourself a Belgian beer, go buy yourself a um, lager, go buy an IPA, go buy some sort of dark beer. Uh, what else would be on there? Maybe something British and I'm blanking on whatever the last category is I'm supposed to cover. Fruity. No, not fruity. <laughs> um, Shandy. Shandy, there you go. <coughs> Water. Um, hoppy, dark, malty, lager. Um, Belgian yeasty. Belgian yeasty. Yeah. And take take some time and try to serve yourself. Or basically try to make sure that you're going through and doing some practice score sheets and filling them out in 15 minutes and cut yourself off at 15 minutes and see um, how you're doing. Do at least one or two with a club. A timer in front of you so that you know that you can make it through down to the overall impression, hopefully within 10 minutes so you can complete everything and have at least one or two minutes to get back. Um, make sure that you checked off everything that was in the um, that's on the score sheet and then get ready for the next beer to be brought out to you. Better yet, have a loved one laugh and yell at you yes. after 15 minutes. Yeah. Have, your, have your other bring you beers, wonder why you're doing this and um, and help you out that way. Okay, so now for some off flavors. Pete, what did we bring? Spicy. Okay. That's what it's called. <laughs> we were, well, was there not a phenolic straight up? Oh, there's not. Okay, so the, the first one that we're just generally going to discuss is phenolic. Um, and the reason we paired that with today is because we're about to taste a bunch of Belgian beers, which really push those phenols forward. Um, the other beers that we may have seen a little earlier that may have had some phenolic characters may have been some of the, the wheat beers. Um, once again, phenols are typically going to be some sort of um, a yeast-produced um, uh, chemical. 
Um, the they're reminiscent of band-aids, uh, disinfectants, uh, plastics. And this smoke. is specifically eugenol, which is uh, cloves and allspice. Okay. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so this is you know phenol. Phenol. Phenols can be uh, appropriate in beers um, once you start getting into smoky, plasticky, mandatey, um, pretty undesirable mm -hmm. most times. Uh, um, reasons, so the, the chlorophenols in particular tend to be something that binds up with some sort of a chlorine product that's in the beer, so maybe if your beer wasn't filtered, can pull some of that in um, and then create that uh, kind of nastiness. Um, you tend to get these also from bacteria as well, so they'll kick off um, some of those levels as well. Um, so if you're picking these things up, talk to them about uh, sanitization, talk to them about uh, sparging water, things that are going to keep your, or maybe just yeast selection, period. So uh, does everyone get the, the spicy phenols in this? I don't really taste it. That's yeah. pretty subtle. I am not entirely sure that I have the tainted one in my hand right now. <laughs> I'm just guessing. Um, the way the phenols are described here, it sounds like there's a lot of crossover with esters. So how can you, especially like more like the clovey <coughs> esters, how do you tell the difference? Clove is typically a phenol, yeah. not an ester. Yeah. Um, so they're really, I mean, that's sort of, they're just two different categories. Esters tend to be fruity compounds, uh, uh, floral compounds, uh, phenols start out in that sort of spice uh, spice cabinet realm and then descends into the purgatory of a smoky uh, peated whiskey uh, and then further into car fire um, and then, then you're starting to touch like the first level of hell um, when it starts getting really bad uh, um. But yeah, I mean, so basically there's two major things that the yeast is going to spit out besides alcohol. It's going to be either esters and, and um, phenols. Um, but yeah, different kind of chemical buildup. Um, but uh, like, like Pete said, if it's going to be involved in a fruit, then it's going to be um, an ester. If it's going to... Um, if it's going to be um, a different kind of nasty plastic... Let me check this. Yeah. It's going to be your phenols. Okay. So the other off flavor, you got musky? Earthy. Earthy musky. Just earthy. Um, you're going to get this more with wines than anything else, but we're not really judging wines. Um, so there's one style where... Cause musky is going to be any kind of... Almost just a... The wet cardboardy um, basement, basement dirt notes. Um, you're really building one style that they say that you're going to get this is out of a beer to guard, um, but it's some sort of an oxidative character that's binded up with the malt um, typically. So this can happen both in the mash and the boil, or hot side aeration um, is, is the typical side. When you get it post-fermentation or fermentation on, it tends to be just more of that cardboard stuff that we'd, we'd already had a little earlier. Um, but this is usually going to be uh, created on the hot side as well. Um, yes. the, so this is 2-ethyl-fencol. Uh, uh, they say it could come from packaging or water-related contamination. Uh, you know, this is loamy... 
Yeah. Not, not quite composty, mm-hmm. but you know, sort of that rich soil. Fresh dirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that is just like dirt. I mean, potting soil kind of thrown in your face. Um, and it, it, what, what, you're, you're rarely going to see this, but it can kind of pop up every so often. Can I grab a glass? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask you. Um, <laughs> looking for where that came from. Um, so I think Musty, it's an oxidative character, <laughs> tends to be a little towards the front, or like like we were saying, water in the end. Um, hopefully you will not be getting a lot of this ever. Um, but that's a flavor for you. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's very, uh, very notable. It's like a moldy basement. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Um, yeah, but it's that sort of that, you know, the mold and the paper, cardboardy. Uh, like it, the cardboard itself molded, yeah. So, I'll do the fun fall trick. Okay, and with that, we'll move into something a little more fun. So, Belgian. the Belgium. Alright. Uh, tons and tons of breweries in Belgium. Uh, it's in very, very difficult when you're at a bar to have any idea of what you're really like. They're, all their beers are listed out by colors and maybe a little list of strength. It's tons of fun. Um, but So they've got a very, their brewing um, large, is going to have a very, very, very strong yeast um, induced uh, flavors to it. But uh, they're the, the classic styles go from very, very light up to pretty, pretty dark, but not really into that charred area. So we're going to start off uh, with the, the basic Belgian ales. Um, so we're going to start off with uh, wit beer, um, which should be basically a bright um, wheat-based wheat beer, at least around 50%, but then possibly with a little extra spicing on there. Nice carbonation to start. So we're... St. Bernard is St. Bernard. Mm-hmm. What did people get initially? Right out of the front. Floral, mm-hmm. Floral orange, coriander character. It's actually, the coriander is, for me, in a nice place. It's not overly um, coriandery. If you get a little too much coriander in there, it can get a hammy note to it, and that tends to be a little that you've overkill at that point. Sorry, did you say Green's Paradise? Or? No, I said very nice. Oh, okay. okay. There could be Green's Paradise. Um, there's that nice restrained weedy backbone to it. How would you call it? What would you call it? Floral. Um, is that a violet Sorry? Violet. Yeah, I, I think violet. That's good. A little bubble gum. Okay. Like gumball itself. Kind of. Or not 
stick. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not quite a uh, uh, baseball card, mm-hmm. old stick of gum, but... Um, shouldn't be getting any ops really out of this at all. body itself has picked up quite a decent amount of haze, which is going to be acceptable. A lot of people get upset when you get a wet beer that isn't hazy. Um, and I guess technically for the style, it could be a fault. But yeah. Are hazy and cloudy different? The cloudy like is just more a more intense haze. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So uh, kind of more like density. And see, oh, hello. See, to me, cloudy is almost a, like larger particles. Kind it's of it's more of a yeast. Yeah, yeast. So that hazy would be more appropriate term for this. I, I this is bordering on cloudy though. Yeah, too. yeah. <laughs> so, certainly can at least yeah. our model. Um, yeah, I guess it's a, it's it's diffracting the light more, so it gives it more of a white. Whereas, like the hot haze is just going to give a, a an opac- opacity, and mm-hmm. I think it's just you're right. It's the uh, yeah. the size of the, the particulate. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you wouldn't be if someone said cloudy or hazy. No one's going to say you're wrong. Okay. Um, but um, and and then there's something else that you'll eventually pick up with beers is if you the presence of a haze changes the color of a beer to some extent to the perception because you're reflecting more light in it, um, and it affects the way that it overall proceeds. Um, hazier beers, I think it, it goes the opposite. It gets lighter overall sometimes, and sometimes it yeah. <laughs> kind of gets that weird, weird note to it. Um, head kind of fell a little quickly on this, but it's very fine. Just kind of an off white head. Flavor is very firm in terms of the coriander, <laughs> pushing into a little borderline annoying for me. Um, the that violet or that hint of jasmine kind of uh, floral character definitely pushes through as well. Um, little of that orange, little clover honey maybe. Yeah, that's right. Fairly aggressive. Uh. Wheat, bread, white. See, I actually get some of the sugar off of a gumball, maybe in there. Yeah. Bitterness should be very, very low, um, as it is just enough to kind of make it into a beer and, and not something overly sickly sweet. Um, definitely got that kind of character going for it. Um, if, and if anything, I'd have to tag the hops as maybe slightly floral, but I, half the time I just don't know if it's the flowers potentially in this beer. Uh, do people get a little astringency on this? Yeah, so this going back to the discussion from last or last week, or two weeks ago, whatever that was. Because you're throwing in these extra 
uh, extra vegetable matter with the spices, you can potentially pick up a little extra um, astringency. So it says um, no harshness from astringency uh, or astringency, but yeah, so there can be just a hint of it. This is maybe a little. No, but yeah, no, I mean, this, yeah, like it falls in line with the uh, the coriander being a, a bit aggressive, mm-hmm. and you know you're getting it tactily as well as uh, flavor wise. Lingering floral for me, um, and then the coriander, almost a little salty. Yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say that the floral to me and the uh, and the flavor is, is comes across as slightly uh, false. Mm-hmm. Like it's a lovely floral note, but it somehow comes more perfumey, uh, artificial mm-hmm. uh, in the flavor. Underlying body, decent supporting carbonation, a little creaminess, but. Not too much. That little astringency. Um, yeah, it definitely leaves you with that lingering kind of soap note. So this is going to be 50% unmalted wheat, 50% pale, typically. Um, and then coriander and orange mm-hmm. uh, in the boil, orange peel. Uh, maybe jasmine. I think a lot of homebrewers will do jasmine now. I think that's what. Uh, you got chamomile in there as well, potentially. Chamomile. Yeah. Sorry, <coughs> jasmine. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the, I think the trick for this is hitting on a spicy level that doesn't get offensive and works with some of the asters from the from the yeast. Um, but should be refreshing. Should be something very very sessionable. Um, Kind of hot weather day beer. Um, compared to its, I guess, other styles nearby. Um, so, the German version, wheat beer, which is going to be a lot more phenolic, no spicing. Um, going to have some other esters in there as well, as compared to the wit beer. Um, Trying to see what else. But yeah, it's the, the spice and that kind of bright wheat notes. All right, next um, we've got 24B, uh, Belgian Pale. So for the ale-producing cultures, everyone still has something that's going to be um, a little bit of a mildly expressive hoppy kind of note for that, but also have a little character to the, um, the base malt within the beer. Um, so going to be a little... In general, they're they're aiming. They're not using a ton of specially crystally malts. They're going to use biscuity malts, if anything, some something a little toasty potentially, um, and then maybe just a little bit of a hop pop um, to put a, a noble-ish hop pop, and then and then some uh, slight Belgian kind of fruity esters too. So it's just almost raw bread crust for me. Maybe a little uh, clove or uh, what's the pumpkin? Right. 
No, the spice though that goes. Caraway. Caraway. Thank you. So what is this one? Belgian pickle. Sorry. Belgian pickle. Yeah. Twenty-four B. The essence for me is working to the apples, but. It's made of honey. Honey and. Little honey, honey. Yep. yeah. It's a nice raw honey. Yeah, it's sort of baked onto a roll for me. I don't over. Overly aggressive aroma overall. No. Hint of a floral hop, maybe, but. A little pear, maybe? Yeah, I can see pear and apple. But not like, to me, not fresh cut, maybe. Just a little apples or pears sitting in a bag. Tree. Tree. K I S S I S. Bright amber body. Looks brilliantly clear to me. Yeah. Head uh, fell relatively quickly, but just a nice, just pretty white. A nice, gentle malt to, you know, bready, biscuity malt note. The honey comes through. Yeah, I get a hint of an orange character in there. Yeah. Um, Let's get a spice. Mm-hmm. Still, the, some sort of phenolic. It's almost like a spice drop hint in there. Well, sir, people get it in the flavor. Clove gum. Clove gum. Yeah. Floral, <laughs> but not, uh, so not real present. Yeah, moderate, a little bit bitterness for sure. Doesn't let it get sweet, but it still does have some sweetness to it. Yeah. Little lightly bruised pear. Toasty, like slightly spicy sweetness. Oh, it's toast taken right to the edge of uh, burnt. Mm-hmm. I think it's almost there. Yeah, by that point. I'd say a little on the light side for the, the bittering, maybe for the style. It's not as crisp as maybe I tend to think. Right. You betcha. <laughs> Straight off the plane. <laughs> yep. 
That's where Pete's been for the past week. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do that next year. Yeah. Yeah, I'm totally on board with that. Mm -hmm. This would be the beer I'd fly back to Belgium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'd bring home a Hoo Garden. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that would be nice to just get it. Uh... There's a little hint of alcohol that kind of pops up in the finish. Yeah. Um, but it should be moderately light bodied or nothing too, too heavy. Um, nice little carbonation level to, to support everything through. Um, yeah, just that little thing to drop home. Yeah, which is kind of nice. What are, what percent is this? Is only like five or five and a half? Well, you've done it now. No, oh, okay. I broke I broke the class. <laughs> it's not on there. It's on the bottom. Just kidding. Um, I will say it's 5.5. Okay, great. Top end of the style. All right. <laughs> um, uh, in terms of ingredients, just a kind of a very, very nice basic base malt. Uh, they, they call it for Pilsner, Pale Ale, depending where they want to go. Maybe a little bit of uh, Vienna or Munich to add in, but you're not really, really working all these interesting kind of specialty malts like you would maybe in an um, American Pale. Um, so using very, very simple base malts to get that kind of flavor going, um, and then using uh, your continental-ish hops um, to, to, to pop the resters. They call it Sots, Assyrian Goldings, Kent Goldings, Fuggles, um, and then just a little bit of uh, that Belgian yeast character. This is probably one of the least assertive Belgian yeast, I guess, um, the beers out there. But just basically something... Should be a little bit of a nice malt flavor to it, a little bit of a hop just to back it up in terms of um, support and nice crisp ready. A little bit of yeast character. Alright. What do we got next? We don't have beer to guard. Okay. So beer to guard. Um, which is going into that that styles it could be technically musty. Um, there's a range of characters within the style, but beer guard basically means beer uh, that I or uh, that we've stored kind of away, um, which is why you can potentially get towards that musty. They can vary from uh, blonde up to brown, um, but they're going to have some really nice kind of bready, toasty malts to it. Um, possibly getting up uh, relatively high in alcohol as well. I think they can get up to like seven or eight. Uh, yeah, up to 8.5%. They tend to be fairly strong. Um, but then age for a while, um, which is where it may get some of that kind of musty character, which you really have a hard time finding. Um, but some interesting potential toffees, um, biscuit notes. Um, so kind of like a Belgian ale, pushed up to a higher level and maybe with a little bit more of an expressive yeast character compared to the other styles that are out there. Um, Wait, if you get this in a competition, I don't know if they have to... Uh, the entrant must specify blonde, amber, or brown for the, the beer guard. Um, but uh, it can be kind of all over the board. Here. All right. I don't know. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things I've ever heard. <laughs> um, okay. Belgian Strong Ale. So now we're moving the family. We're basically moved up the alcohol at least probably to the six-ish percent range, and then going up to the 
Um, probably she's 12 or so. Um, and we're going to start out with a Belgian blonde. Left blonde. Um, so we're going to look for a little more of that yeast character coming through on this. Um, very nice head on, on this one. Nice and thick and kind of moosey. And you'll start to see maybe a little more of the nice moosey heads on the rest of these as well. Moving into some interesting phenols here. So there's it's a polite way. Yeah, that. there's. I mean, it's plastic for me there's right up front. Bird matchstick. Yeah. Bird matchstick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's not quite the sulfur texture. The stick that's yeah, been you. You let it. You let it burn down for a little while, and you smell that afterwards. Yeah. Oh. Sulfur. Uh, no sulfur. Oh, no, no sulfur though. Plastic. No, it's just like the yeah, the wood, kind of the burnt down wood. Um, Are you getting any sort of plasticky? Plastic. Yeah. Yeah, like a little bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a like you burnt the end <coughs> of a rope to keep it from unraveling. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, there's notes of clove, but it's almost a to me. There's <coughs> just a light bready malt behind it, or a light like toasted malt. And there's also it's a, uh, a cardboardy note that the plastic is is rolling into. Which is why it makes it seem more pronounced to me. It's a model airplane for you. Delivery. Yeah. Any other esters that people get? Or Body, um, brilliantly clear, that persistent, very, very fine head. Nice layer across the top, can, doesn't go away. The flavor's got a nice honey sweetness, but you get that plasticky. Papery, so it's like you're eating the bit of honey candy with the wrapper still on. It reminds me of a bad mead almost on the back end. Like a mead that wasn't? Mead or meat? Mead. Okay, because <laughs> the mead I was trying to fall <laughs> Yeah, yeah, real road chili kind of. Yeah. <laughs> sort of like it was uh, not that, happy in its fermentation. Yeah. yeah. The yeast. Uh, mm -hmm. I can see that. There's that note of honey, but it's not a bright honey. It's a kind of a dull. There's there's banana, there's clove. It's like dried banana, if anything. Um, hint of that clove, but it's like, well, it's almost nothing. That's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like honey that's in an abused honey shelter. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> battered honey shelter. Battered honey shelter. There's alcohol, alcoholic notes in the flavor as well. Slightly Venus. Pretty big uh, white pepper in the uh, finish. Moderate, moderately light, kind of bitterness to kind of push everything through. Dry, crisp. But then it's a little heavy at the end, though. Yeah, lighter, much lighter body than the uh, the Belgian Pale. Mm -hmm. um, Lingering plastic and <laughs> um, lingering, just hint of toast. So like the bubbles kind of give you that creaminess. Yeah. Um, so you swish it around. Um, so in general, we're going to have a lot of uh, yeast expression pushing it forward. Um, Probably just going to use a very, very, very basic Pilsner malt for this. Um, well, maybe not basic, sorry. A Belgian um, Pilsner. And then kind of let the yeast go nuts with it. Push it forward, dry it out. Maybe maybe just make it to sugar to, to help kind of get through it. I'm not sure if that actually calls for any. Um, but yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah. Pilsner malt, aromatic malt, sugar. To get that nice dryness, Belgian yeast to ferment it down very, very low um, and get some interesting um, character out of it. Um, and kind of working with those goldings or those sots, uh, hops just to get a little, maybe more of a earthy note to it. Yeah, some, that was probably seven ish or six and a half percent. All right, we're passing around uh, Saison now. So farmhouse ales, um, looking basically for a beer to help uh, keep your the people out in the fields a little hydrated and hydrated refreshed. and liquored up. <laughs> um, so these can kind of span the, bo the board in terms of uh, uh, strength. Maybe it might have uh, some hops in there, or some, maybe it might have some hops. Um, they, they have a little spice in there, um, uh, but we're going to be pushing some interesting yeast character um, out of this. It can get some pretty strong phenolic character. Um, it almost sometimes to me get into a musty place, but uh, we'll see what we got. New spice. <laughs> So what are the spices that people think that they're getting on this? I'm getting a lot of lemon. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or even lime. Mm -hmm. 
Cut for your life, yeah. Yeah, there's almost that underlying kind of sourish kind of note to it. And the coriander. The coriander is pretty big. <laughs> yeah. to it. Bright straw. Probably has a lot more haze by the time it got around the, the room. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Yours was downright murky. <laughs> strong peppercorn notes um, and, and the flavor and you kind of get that I might have also just bit into a um, coriander seed there's and a chewed it for a while <laughs> there's a definite burning yeah and then and that heat comes yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, what is this is this eight percent or six point six point six that's showing a lot more no, I, I get it I get it more as a spice mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was more a students and spice and just like warm. Yeah. Can I get the orange rind, but not the mm -hmm. pith at the end too? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of pith in particular. Like somebody already zested it and then you get the rind. Like and then they're getting... Mm -hmm. Like bottled lemon juice. 
It's like a lemon candy sweetened with tart at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's like lemon head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a sheet. Yeah. <coughs> There's, to me, just that hint of like musty bread or maybe a dried bread in there. Um, yeah, crackery. Yeah. Which works with the pepper. A lot of carbonation. Yeah, for carbonation. Comes rushing out. Got some bubble gum. The finish. That's oh. definitely a rose note to me. In the finish, yeah. yeah. Rose hippie. Little more of that. It's like you're having that peppered cracker after afterwards. Yeah. That just kind of lingers. Little plastic. Well, strange to see the in the finish. The obviously firm carbonation, fairly dry. I mean, or fairly crisp body. So can really be all over the board in terms of where they're going to end up with the spicing, where they're going to end up with yeast character. Um, I don't know if this was in the previous guidelines, but you're required to. It was not. Yeah. Okay. Um, indicate the strength and the color um, of the saison because you can get pretty dark with these as well if you choose to. Um, so they've got some OG and final gravity um, ranges. Um, for standard, table, super, super sales. Super! Um, but generally going to start with a pale, or sorry, like a, a Pilsner base, um, and then kind of build it up with, from there. If you're going to go dark, maybe pick up a, a bit of music. Um, but kind of kind of push it and then try to figure out where you want to go with uh, it may involve some wheat in there as well which I mean, this one did and uh, kind of tie it all together or work with the yeast the saison yeast sucks because it tends to stall at 10.30 or so and then hang there for a little while and then kind of finish out um, but kind of a very very unique profile from there okay so Moving on to 25C, Belgian Gold Strong. What do we have here? Is it dual? Or? Pirat. So, um, <coughs> working from our kind of our filtery, just malt profile, and then really pushing forward some interesting uh, fruity kind of yeasty character notes. Uh, but pushing up onto, let's see, 7.5 to 10% should be. Crisp, dry, and um, very, very effervescent. Twenty-five. <laughs> 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 
So what do people get in Rome on this? It's not very, very prominent. I, mean, I get some notes of bubble gum. I get some light grainy malt. I'm getting some blueberry, like blueberry jelly belly. Some jelly belly. <laughs> <laughs> orange. It's <laughs> about orange. Okay. Like a dried apricot for me, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Very, very light white pepper. Flavor is a lot more intense. <coughs> that bright candy, sugarish, honey, and bready right up front for me. Little earthy note. <coughs> I always feel like I'm getting blueberry. blueberry. I do. sweetness to it, <laughs> but then it dries, dries up afterwards. It's a bit of the higher alcohol, a little solventy uh, in the mix. Mm -hmm. 
the solvent even varies. I get some phenolic spice with it too. What kind of spice do you think? Uh, probably more pepper. Peppery berry. <laughs> blueberry spice. Blueberry. <laughs> He's having a stroke. <laughs> There's blueberry, don't worry. <clears throat> oh, you're just saying. Yeah. Yeah, a little lemon pith. Liquor. Liquor. There's some honey notes, but it's not like kind of that honey sweet. Yeah, it's a uh, little kind of this caramel. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of that crossover between dark honey and caramelized <coughs> honey. Yeah, it just finishes with that lingering alcoholic mustard. Um, just enough bitterness to carry it through, but it's still the alcoholic sweetness is definitely there. Um, so, do they have triple or not? Yes. Okay, but that's later. Yes. Um, so, differentiating this between a triple, triples are typically going to be a little more hop expressive, a little more bitterness, but they, these styles fall right on top of each other a lot of the time. This should be finished drier. It should finish, well, once again, down to 10.05. Um, just crisp um, and boozy and with an interesting kind of uh, ester profile. It's definitely got an interesting. The aroma is obviously subdued, but the flavor really brought some... It has such a heavy uh, uh, head to it that sometimes yeah. you'll get uh, a lack of aromatics because the head is uh, mm -hmm. basically suppressing uh, like a cap. Mm -hmm. So... Um, working with the Pilsner base and then potentially a metric crap ton of sugar to just dry it out. Um, going to use the same kind of continental-ish um, hops, the sops and the goldings, the Syrian goldings, and then ferment it with a highly, highly, highly attenuative Belgian uh, yeast for those interesting alcohol notes. Uh, but drying it out is very, 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 very important in this style. <clears throat> well, even this is too sweet for me. Yeah. See, it's the alcohol, though. That's the thing. The alcohol will create a sweetness of its own, um, and that's definitely... <laughs> um, it's got that going to it. So how do you, how do you perceive like? the difference there? Because it, it leaves your mouth. I think that's why. Yeah, it's, um, like it's in the finish. Yeah. yeah. It, it, because it's gonna it, and little little sweetness to it. We probably should do something like bring in a shot of vodka and drop it in some of these beers and just kind of taste that sweetness, kind of character. But then in the finish, you just it kind of comes off your tongue completely. Um, and that that to me is how I differentiate alcohol sweetness. And then if I'm getting drunk, that's that's the other. Way. <laughs> <laughs> Still typically not something I tend to enjoy though. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you there too. It gets to the this, this doesn't seem quite as dry as you'd expect a, uh, a Golden Strong uh, to be. Um, so, I, yeah, it's a combination of a lot of things. But, uh. Okay, so we don't have a Trappist single. Um, so we're moving to 26, uh, the Trappist tails. Um, these are typically ones that were only produced by the um, six Trappist monasteries. Um, or is it seven? Oh, there's more now. Yeah, okay. There's like 
other ones. So <clears throat> it's kind of an appellation, like uh, why it technically, if it's going to be a Trappist tale, has to come from one of those um, Trappist certified monasteries. Um, however, people imitate this and try to get into that general character all the time. Um, so the single is basically going to be the lighter version um, of the, the, the Trappist Spears out there. Um, but once again, highly attenuated again. Um, going to have some interesting kind of free um, uh, yeast character notes, maybe a little bit of that <coughs> kind of spicy hop floral notes. Um, so more of a, like an, a, a, their pale ale, I guess, for, for a Trappist. Um, but we're going to try a Belgian double down, which is going to involve a lot more malt or a little more malt character, um, working to some of the darker fruits, um, and then still also push a I don't know, six to eight percent ish, six to seven point six percent ish alcohol. <coughs> Some cherry and some cola, so mm -hmm. almost like a uh, cherry Tootsie Roll mm -hmm. or one of the cola candies or the gummies. Harry Moe's. Nice toast, hints of prune. Not really prune. Um, <coughs> oh, plumish, plum juice. And yeah, yeah, in that sort of darker. Yeah, the sweetened chocolate. What else do people pick up? Hint, hint of Tootsie Pop outside. <coughs> Do you feel any alcohol in it? Hmm? I, I have a feeling that they are much more alcohol than the other one. Yeah. I, I don't know. Could be. This one's less than the other one. Um, this one's the aroma. Mm -hmm. It's not quite oh, burning, seven, but seven, like, like seven, dry. Seven. seven. Okay. Yeah. So Hint of raising that. Sorry, banana skin? Yeah, okay. Very dark amber. Reddish, almost even. Left hand head. It's got a little haze to it. Yeah. What did you call that color? I call it deep amber. Yeah, I'd go dark copper. No, that's not dark copper. That's reddish. Yeah, it's, it's just got some <laughs> brown highlights rather yeah. than oh, reddish brown. What is this guy called? Dark amber to the copper. With reddish notes. <laughs> Cherry Tootsie Pop. Mm 
It's plum. It's a really dry plum. <coughs> Sorry. Communion wine. Communion wine. <laughs> Uzi notes. Bread crust. I always have a hard time with the with the bread crust, toast, all that stuff. I know you guys say it a lot. And, and we're just making stuff up. It's okay. Yeah. No, <laughs> but I'm, I'm always like, mm, I need to eat more toast or something. I can't, I, you like, should. I can't, you should. I can't get it. Somehow. Yeah, it's sort of it, what comes to mind a lot of times for me is like a, a hot bread roll brought out of a restaurant, and you know if it's darker, it really has some of that richer, toastier, um, you know, darker components versus you know, a, it's hard to get with just sandwich bread. <laughs> where you take it out of the wrapper, you're like, oh, this. Bread smells fine, but it was baked a week ago. Uh, you know, it really is more of a fresh bake where the the aroma is really coming off of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I would encourage you to eat much more fresh bread. Mm -hmm. All of us, too. in fact. <laughs> what restaurants bring up the kind of the mixed basket of bread? I was thinking of a uh, uh, Black Angus. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's where uh, field trip. My <laughs> in-laws always uh, always want to. Uh, <coughs> Drive down Sixth Avenue South in Seattle. <clears throat> That's the bakeries. Yeah. And then just walk around back and stick yeah. your head in the case. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. This is for science. <laughs> I'm an expert. That's your judge. It's also a phenolic-y, clovey uh, bite to it. I think it's been mulled a little. Yeah. Mulled communion wine. Mulled communion yes. wine. It's festive. Yes, for the holidays. <laughs> yeah, it's got a lingering toast, and I mean, the, the, so the bitterness is fairly firm. You kind of carried everything through. There's a little floral, earthy note for me in terms of the hop character. Maybe a little more earthy than anything else. Yeah. yeah. Almost a hint of tea. No, but yeah, interesting toast and tea and clove, I think. It kind of wraps it up. A little astringency, a little warmth. Well, sorry, there's warmth. Um, body, moderately. Medium, medium low. <laughs> it's floaters. You got floaters? Yeah. <laughs> the more yeast you got, the more body mm -hmm. you have. A little more viscous difference. Okay. Um, so, uh, malt profile going to be typically a bunch of pills working in with some maybe some Munich just to come out that character, and then some basically some different kind of candy sugars to some darken. Make sure that you get some of that, that dryness in there. Working with the the Sots and Golden hops. Um, 
but yeah, I, I feel like this time probably Golgans in, in particular give that little earthy note to it. Um, so stylistically, they, they say, hey, it shouldn't be as malty as the Bach because you're going to have a whole bunch of um, highly attended yeast. It's going to drop all that out and dry it out. Um, but a more interesting as to profile. Whew. All right. What are we going to have, uh, This is uh, triple. And this right. is... Uh, 26C. Chimay uh, Saint. I'm sorry. Saint Saint so. Yes. <laughs> All right, so going back to that Belgian Golden Strong, now we're going to move into another fairly fairly high alcohol, palish beer, um, but going to be a little more spicy, a little more hot present, hopefully. Um, and this is one of those, for those of you guys who have been to uh, Belgium, they are much hoppier over there in general um, than what we are not getting over here. Um, so these can be quite hoppy. They're almost sometimes like their their IPA. As well, but then it would be a special IPA. <laughs> Except it would be called Yeah. Sorry, this is the Chimay Sink. Sink Salts. C I N Q C E N T S. Is this one they call the white though too? Yeah. Yeah. I get a. Strong grassy and hay hop note to it. Uh, right citrus, a little lemon, orange, orange. Mm-hmm. Lemon too. Like dried lemon peel, if anything. It's certainly very grassy. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really grassy. So I think they dry hop this with Cascade. No. Do people get the hay on the grass? Yeah, on straw. straw. Okay. Yeah. Which almost makes it a little earthy, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of brings it down a bit. Sort of that dry barn, uh, mm-hmm. you know, not animal smell, but no. hay maze. It's a brand new barn waiting to be soiled. Don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm Little haze in this one, too. Yeah. <clears throat> or where's the bottom, too? It's not as bad as the last one. <laughs> um. Goldenrod. Yeah, dull gold. See, all these have had at least a head that had lingered a little while. Did you call that a white or off white? Uh, that's just off white. It's pretty white. It's a little bit bigger bubbles, too. Yeah, a little coarser than the previous ones. Graham crackers, a mm-hmm. uh, little bit of lemon pledge. Um, 
and a crackery birdie note. But the, the honey, just that little sweetness kind of works its way over it. The orange. The orange. The, the lemon. I don't know if I quite go pledge, but it's the closest place that I would go. Blueberry. Sweet than the golden strong. Yeah? Mm -hmm. No? Mm -hmm. well, I, I think it's, I think it's yeah. a little bit more dry. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Spectrum is but not a ton. It's I had to it was it was more there than with the gold strong, right? Nervous wise? <coughs> yeah. Stylistically yeah. or the beer? The beer. It was wasn't too far off. No. These are these are two styles that can get muddled over each other pretty quickly. <coughs> Lingering alcohol. Lingering carbonation. Oh yeah. <laughs> That emerges 20 seconds later for you? Yeah, approximately. But lots of alcohol, but not boozy. You know, in that fruit cakey, boozy fruit cup way. That is do belly, yeah. Yeah. Fruity up front compared to the uh, Golden Strong, but and obviously dry hopped, but a um, little, little more hop character to it. But earthy, floral, earthy. Those steering goldings. Yeah, kind of, yeah. Ingredients once again: a bunch of Pilsner malt, and a bunch of sugar, and then the, those uh, sots are golding hops. And I think once again, this was probably goldings, um, and some yeast to really punch up those phenols and esters. But, so yeah, overall, should be a little bit like a golden strong, slightly darker, <coughs> and with a little more body. And a little more uh, hot dogs. <clears throat> All right, I'll wrap it up. 
Belgian dark straw. So, carrying the, the previous principles of high alcohol and um, interesting ester profiles, and then adding in some a little more Munich, and then a, maybe some specialty malts for this to, to kind of round out that character and really work some dark fruits and, um, and booze. Um, incredible moosey head on that pour. Um, could be one of those things that potentially can slow down your perception of the spear. You may want to judge the appearance before and sometimes on these. Initially, I get a little aged Tootsie Roll. I get uh, dark toast with like a uh, compote, like a plum compote. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the the first bunch <coughs> start popping on even more. The head starts dying down. You need black cherry. Black, black cherry. cherry. See the spice spread for me. Do you write that on score sheets? I feel like I the feel food like is about to happen. Wait for it. <laughs> I would come down. Wait for it. Oh, you didn't happen. <laughs> Very disappointing. That helps fill in some of that space. You know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Here's what I predict. Looking at this beer. Yeah. Haven't opened the bottle yet. <laughs> yeah, black cherry. That lead ride though. Raisin cherry. Between a raisin cherry and a dry cherry? You mix it with raisins. Oh, okay. okay. For motivation. They need motivation. <laughs> Otherwise, they don't. Look quite at how great the raisin's doing! What's wrong with you? Any other fruits that people get? Cherry, bark, and blackstrap bitters. It's all one thing. <laughs> it just sounds crazy. Cherry, like, cherry. like bitters you would use in a Manhattan. Okay. Yeah, you have bitters, yeah. Yeah. This this would mix into a Manhattan pretty nicely. Angostura. <coughs> hmm? Angostura. Hmm? Hints of spice pepper. Some vanilla. Hmm? Fruit. Sorry? Some vanilla. Yeah, I think so. Need a little sliced uh, <coughs> fresh pear. Murky deep copper reddish. Hint. No. Nah, not really. Light brown. Light tan uh, head. <coughs> Fruits. Tootsie Pop, toasted marshmallow fluff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Black cherry. <coughs> uh, 
answer. I was like a baked pear. <coughs> Toasty. Yeah. Like a honey covered toasted bread crust, if anything. For Raisin for motivation. Raisins on the side of it as well. Everyone needs motivation. Motivational raisins. Phenolic okay. in the finish. Fairly hoppy, fresh, but um, there's enough bitterness at least to carry through a little earthiness on this. Um. <coughs> right, I flip the page this way. Uh, it works a lot better. pruny, dark candy sugar, alcohol. It's 11.3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little less warm as this one. No, mm-hmm. it's just, you're like, oh, I'm <coughs> Yeah. I like this one. <laughs> yeah. I'm generally not a big <coughs> Belgian dark fan, mm-hmm. but yeah. I like this, this is a, good spot for you. Yeah. a lot. I think just because like so many so many of them tend to come across as extreme dark uh, Belgian they'll, they'll, they'll beers. Pick one character and really kind of <laughs> yeah. nail that and lose some of those other kind of subtle balances. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Nice kind of what you get the alcohol. You get I don't really get astringency. Little satiating notes to it. Moderately full body, but I mean, good and high carbonation to, to push that through. Now, if they just sell it in them Foster oil cans, <laughs> I think we'd be onto something. <laughs> so, stylistically, kind of like a, a monster double, but um, a little more alcohol, a little more um, richness, still big, finishes out dry enough that it's not cloying. But a little heavier overall. Let's <laughs> all come back up for him. Um, the so they they work this through a combination of working with the main kind of Belgian malts or base malts, working with your um, Phil's Vienna Munich, special B, and then tying in the fun special B to to get those extra mm, dark, fruit and the dark the candy stone sugar, fruits. yeah. It's like <laughs> Crystal 120 uh, on steroid. No, this is Crystal B. It's a, it's a malt from Castle Malt <laughs> in Belgium. What do uh, they do to make it different? I don't know what they actually do. But I mean, it's... it's Bless it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it really is like candy. Um, it's like 120 love mine, isn't it? 
it might or be one, more. Sorry, I mean, yes. one it's similar sorry. to Crystal 120, yeah. but even more so, even fruitier. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it just picks up all those really fun dark fruit characters. I'll generally put 20% in my IPAs, <laughs> uh, just for, you know, color. And yeah. It's good with breakfast. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of one of those great go-to flavor beers. Oh, sorry, malts. Good in um, as a base beer for flanders, too, in my mind. Hmm. Um, kind of works in some of those yeah, yeah. dark characters to start with. All right. That's a good finish. Huh? For, um, so, let's see. For next week, <clears throat> um, we kind of wrap it up. Uh, we've got, uh, we'll go through some true or false questions. We'll, like, I think next week we'll probably do one more less uh, practice beer judging. Um, and then we go into some boozy off flavors. We're going to do sherry, alcoholic. Um, we should probably just bring some. Glad we for that. Yeah, for that. Um, and then solvent, which is the unfortunate higher alcohol. Um, we're going to try British brown beers, and then we're going to move into the strong British ales and strong American ales, so barley wines and all sorts of fun stuff in there. Strong <laughs> ales, old ales, and um, good times. Um, we'll talk about the final kind of test tips uh, for people and, and going over just good score sheet filling out for, for the exam. Um, and if you guys have any extra questions, for those taking the exam, if you can bring in like one or two more uh, score sheets, I'll, we'll kind of get back to you guys um, and get you some more feedback on those. But any other questions, thoughts? Okay. Well, I have one question. Uh, before we were talking about recipe, <coughs> and I know that's when I uh, brew my old grain, mm -hmm. um, I'm always a couple of, even five points higher than normally it should be as far as the original gravy. So what I mash, I, I actually after mashing and uh, sporting, I usually recirculate a couple of times, you know, with my yeah. pot and you mm -hmm. for a little while. Yeah. But I still don't understand why I'm always higher as far as the uh, gravity. It can be a little bit tricky because part mm -hmm. of it is the volume that you have. Um, so you have to make sure that you know what your volumes are. I you believe know. so, but that, that really is one of the, the most important things for figuring out your overall efficiency is really getting a good handle on your water volumes and making sure that you're putting in the but, right. But you could just be more efficient. Yeah, yeah you're in which case, there's nothing wrong with it. Up. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it just means that adjust you, your rather than seventy percent efficiency <clears throat> or seventy-five percent, you're running at eighty percent, and that's there is nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with being under that either. Because you know, the last beer I made was uh, basically saison. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for 50, 55, and I end up to 62, 63. I said, okay, that's um. so. After that, my final gravity was a uh, 10, 113 or so, mm -hmm. instead of being at 8, 7. Mm -hmm. My ratio was pretty much the same one. Mm -hmm. I mean, the same. <coughs> Yeah, well, you can always dilute it down. Yeah, I was gonna say at that point. Diluting it's, it's a good idea, but making sure that you adjust your hopping as a result of that. Like if you're coming in too high in terms of your gravity, you need to make sure that your bitterness is up a little bit higher to account for that. Um, so yeah. put, putting in in another, I mean, it's only like five or ten percent maybe, but making sure that you boost up your bitterness just a bit to, to 
else. But I mean, yeah. do you, are you working with Brewing Software at this point, or are you just working? Are you working with software to help with your brewing, or no? Okay, just working off a recipe. No, you just need to because most recipes are going to say this is designed for an efficiency of X percent. You know, when you see X percent, you've just kind of got to go, all right, well, I need to scale it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could get, you know, with some software um, or, you know, there, there are Excel spreadsheets out there that people have Well, made. the only one thing I'm using, you know, it's a brew friend or something like mm-hmm. this to calculate the volume of water based on the uh, weight of the grain. Yeah, yeah. And after that, to determine, you know, the, uh, um, the water, the strike water mm-hmm. temperature based on the quantity of right. grain and the ambient temperatures and after that you know, yeah. so no, you're just you're just slightly more efficient than they they write the recipes for and so that's great and uh buy a little less yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you can buy one pound less and uh, and still that's what that was advised to do yes um yeah i mean that's a crude way to to do it but yeah, I try to be a couple of uh, degree or one degree below when I mash. Mm-hmm. Instead, you know, 152, 153, I try to be a little bit lower, mm-hmm. but one or two degree. If you I really know. do want to drop your efficiency, do things like trying to sparge faster, okay? I mean, just other ways to throttle back your efficiency. Um, That's another one point I'm, I'm taking, you know, to drain... <laughs> I mean, you know, five uh, five gallon, almost half an hour, 44, 45 minutes mm-hmm. to get, you know, my full uh, six, yeah. seven gallons that of water. That doesn't uh, sound terrible. Yeah. That yeah. sounds about, yeah. All right. You know, it's a very little yeah, it's flow <laughs> of water, not that the big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, if you're, especially if it's consistent, then you know that your process yields a bit more than the, the average, and so you can either put the recipes into a software that adjusts it based on your yield, so you can go, all right, well, this is what it's supposed to be at 75%. If I go this way, then it'll scale down the, the malts for you and let you know you know what you should be getting for your system and setup. Um, but you know, over, otherwise, it's not, it's not the worst problem. Not the worst problem. Yeah. Undershooting. <laughs> you know, being 10 points low, that's a bad problem to yeah. have. Well, that's happened at the beginning, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, real quick, money-wise, uh, we're... Uh, how, does, how does it... So, everyone paid for five classes up front. Uh, for people who... We just need one more class if you've gone to six classes. You don't pay for more than six. Um, Should be good. So, you know, like there, I think... You just need to pay me $15 and we're good um, for the whole thing. Uh, Carrie, you've already paid. For people who haven't, aren't going to make the six, no big deal. Um, sorry, it's complex. Yeah. There's that. Yeah. So we're paying for one more if we've been to six. Yes. Or more. Yes. Okay. Yes. Six to nine, 15 more dollars. <laughs> Otherwise, we're, uh, we're good. Okay. All right. One last class.